0: What is up people and welcome back to the Highline podcast and today we've got something different it's a solo show Aaron unfortunately is on the sick bed he's been he's been sick all weekend he's not feeling a hundred percent so fortunately or unfortunately I'm not sure what way you guys view it but you've got an unrivaled ...piece of Jamie perspective. I'm going to review... ...the weekend's Premier League football. I watched all five games. I've got thoughts on all five games. And I'm going to share them all with you. So of course we wish... ...we wish Aaron all the best. And hopefully... ...he'll be back with us as normal... ...for the Friday show previewing... ...the coming weekend. But for now I'm afraid you're stuck with me. And I suppose... One of the major talking points in the last few hours only is the announcement that Everton and Nottingham Forest have breached profitability and sustainability rules. Another charge for Everton, to the best of my knowledge, from what I've read and I've listened to, it's not so clear as to what the charge against Everton is again. From what I've read, It's something as simple as they just haven't paid the fine from their previous charge. Obviously, everyone aren't going to pay that fine now that they are contesting that charge. Nottingham Forest, on the other hand, I read their statement. They seem adamant that they will play to the rules. They will take part in all investigations, they'll willingly give up information, reports. But in terms of, I suppose, consequences due of these breaches, that's unclear. We know with Everton the last time, massive points deductions, massive fines. So what lies ahead for Nottingham Forest and for Everton is unclear. But I'm sure the Premier League will make that clear in the next few days coming weeks but I'm not going to spend too much time on that because there is so much up in the air and there is so much that is unclear but one thing is for sure is that Luton and Burnley maybe even Sheffield United will be licking their lips because if there's another points deduction coming in Everton's way that blows this relegation battle wide open so open and we'll get on to the game between Burnley and Luton. Both teams, I'm sure, will be kicking themselves with the news today and the potential for more points deductions that neither team got the three points. But again, we'll move on to that later. In terms of the title race, there's movement at the top. City's win in the dying minutes against Newcastle has moved them. Second place within two points of leaders, Liverpool. I suppose the way I viewed this game, I found it incredibly interesting. Tactically, City deployed something that I haven't seen them do recently. I haven't seen them do really at all. And when I looked at the lineups straight away, it was the back four of City that, jumped out to me I was looking at it and I was thinking Kyle Walker right back Vardy all left back Ruben Diaz and Nathan Ackie and I thought there's no real there's no real defender here that has the capabilities or Pep has trusted before to step into midfield so I was wondering how he was going to go about that and what way he was going to play and I found how Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden were used incredibly, incredibly interesting and effective. I mean, they're both incredible players. Like, don't get me wrong, they're amazing. But Bernardo nearly played as that moving into midfield player. He started off nearly as the 10 with Foden Moore on the wing. But it was Foden that drifted in field and Bernardo nearly dropped deeper and he was playing alongside. It was almost a midfield three of himself, Kovacic and Rodri, with Foden and Doku nearly playing more narrow, which caused Trippier and Dan Byrne all sorts of problems in the first half an hour. I thought City for the first half an hour up to their goal were astounding. I could not get over the football they were playing. The movements, the intricate passing, Bernardo getting on the ball deep, Foden and Doku coming in narrow, as I said, receiving the ball on the half turn. Alvarez movement in behind. Kyle Walker had the space of the right wing. Dan Byrne did not know what to do. He had, he thought he was marking Foden. Foden was so infield. Byrne couldn't go in and follow him. So Kyle Walker was just freedom of the wing. He was the out ball he was found all the time and City were just so effective in that and they played really some incredible stuff typified by the Bernardo Silva goal I mean the finish was incredible the the ball in by Kyle Walker the flick by Bernardo Silva but it's what we're so used to and accustomed to seeing from Bernardo Silva he's been doing this for years since he signed for City he's just incredible one of the most underrated players in the league I've said that before on this podcast honestly he is a magnificent footballer. But then Newcastle came into it and it's just, it shows the quality that Newcastle have. I mean, at St James's Park, they're always a threat and you can't rule them out and they were pummeled for half an hour, completely and utterly pummeled. But Alexander Isaac and Anthony Gordon made them pay and Kyle Walker's lacklustre defending was punished which could be, you could argue that was a fault of the system. Kyle Walker was pushing very high and he just didn't show enough when he got back. There wasn't enough in the tackle. There wasn't enough in the pushing Isaac out wide. There wasn't enough in the pushing Gordon Moore out wide. And they punished them, Newcastle. Two extraordinary finishes in two minutes and St. James's Park was bouncing. It was an incredible two minutes of football. I couldn't believe what I was watching. Like, City, utter dominance for 30 minutes of the game. And out of nowhere, it's just quality. Newcastle's quality up front. And until half time, the game was there was a bit of an edge to it after that. City were nearly throwing the toys out the pram, and Newcastle nearly had them where they wanted them. There was. Tough tackles, hard tackles. And City just weren't themselves again. They came in at half time, I'm sure Pep had words. They came out the second half. And they were good. No real clear cut chances though. Until the return of that man. There's there's no words for Kevin De Bruyne, genuinely. No words. I mean, after such a layoff, how long was it? Five, four, five months? He comes on 60, I think it was the 62nd minute. He just completely turns the game on its head. And I suppose me and Aaron, for those of you who listen, listened last week, we had the debate of Kevin De Bruyne in terms of the great players of the Premier League era and Aaron I suppose made the argument of availability and if he was at a different team they would feel his loss more and I get that but man the things he can do with football are incredible just the the first goal for instance just he's out he's out for so long the match fitness isn't there but you could just see the class. The way he takes the ball onto his right foot and just slides it home. No chance for Dubravka. And then for the, the winner at the end by Oscar Bob. What a pass. I mean, there is, honestly, there's no more words for it, Kevin De Bruyne. Magical Class. He is. He is honestly. He is up there with the best. You put. I, I'd put him in the conversations with Gerrard, with Scholes, with Lampard, all these incredible players of Premier League past. You just you can't ignore him anymore. You really can't. And yeah, I just I I, I love him as a footballer. I don't know if you are a lover of the game, you can't not love Kevin De Bruyne. He is class in a footballer passing striking crossing work rate effort honesty all of it and him being back and if that's him at 40 or 50% capacity what is he going to be like in a month's time it's trouble for the league and I hope I hope that we have a title race on our hands this year. I hope we have an exciting title race on our hands this year. But if Kevin De Bruyne stays fit from now until until the end of the season and just continues to gather pace and Haaland comes back and continues to gather pace and them two link up, there's, I can only see one winner. I can only see one winner. It's not good news for Arsenal. And it's not good news for Liverpool. And there's big pressure on them next weekend to deliver. Because City are piling the pressure on. Because those sort of performances, those last minute winners, they're great for the Man City mentality. They're great for the feeling in the Man City dressing room. But they've been there and they've done that. They don't need these last minute winners to boost confidence. They don't need these great performances to boost confidence. If anything, these sort of performances are dwindling Arsenal and Liverpool's confidence more than its benefiting City and if Arsenal and Liverpool don't deliver next weekend it's just it'll be self-inflicted pressure and City pile on enough pressure without you putting on extended additional pressure it's big trouble for the league big big trouble and speaking of trouble, I mean, we have to have a word on Newcastle because no win in the last four games, shipping goals. I know injuries are a factor, but they still have to do better. Players, like the likes of Bruno Guimara is there. I feel sorry for him because Lewis Miley and all the credit and the respect to Lewis Miley. He's only 17 years of age. There's only so much he can do. He struggled. He struggled. He struggled big time in that game against City. I know he's up against some of the best players in the world but he struggled. So did Longstaff. It's a young midfield and Gamarez there's only so much he can do on his own. Almiron he just doesn't have the quality. Trippier looked back to his bet Trippier looked back to himself barred the last goal. Bob got the better of him for the last goal. But he had looked back to himself. It's a big plus that that back four is back for them. They'll still miss Nick Pope. But... I just... I looked at that injury list. They've so many injuries. And they're 10th in the table now. No win in four. It does beg the question of... Has Eddie Howe hit his ceiling how much further can he take this team now I think he will get to the end of the season and even possibly he could even possibly get next season as well but it is something that me and Aaron have touched on and it's Eddie Howe is ultimately not the man that's going to drive Newcastle to where their owners want them to be how quickly the owners want Newcastle to be there is the question are they satisfied with taking next season adding to the squad and seeing how they get on next season do they get Champions League but I think this summer will be very telling I'm unsure whether Eddie Howe will last past the summer because I think them Newcastle owners are incredibly ambitious and I don't think Eddie Howe will take them to where the owners want them to be No disrespect to Eddie Howe. He has been phenomenal. The job he's done. He has Newcastle completely ahead of schedule. But I think if they finish outside the top six or even the top seven, they could finish outside. I don't think that'll be enough for the owners. I don't think that'll satisfy the owners enough to keep him there. Moving on to what was a thrilling game at Old Trafford maybe thrilling more so on scoreline but incredibly an incredibly telling game I would say on the one hand you had a team coming to Old Trafford with not a good record at Old Trafford not a good record against Man United in general under a manager that's only been there six months without their captain and without their talisman in midfield against a Manchester United team 18 months into their regime at the minute their captain you would argue their number one go to midfield they're without a doubt best front three they're number one goalkeeper arguably their best centre half and two that have been in the past starting fullbacks, and they were played off the park completely and utterly played off the park there is no doubt that Spurs are the better team at the minute no doubt what Ange has done to that team is so admirable. He deserves all the credit. At the start of the season, I thought it was bound to trickle off. I thought this manager bounce was going to die down. The performances wouldn't maintain themselves. I thought when all the injuries came, they wouldn't be able to play the way that he had played at the start of the season. But he has shut me up entirely. And he's gained. He's gained a fan out of me because the way they play football is just a joy Pedro Porro was incredible Udagi was fantastic Garnacho didn't have a sniff all game the two centre halves the difference that those two centre halves make to that Tottenham team Van de Ven and Romero in terms of build up they can it's just that back four enables them to play that incredibly risky high line I know United got their two goals from that high line but Spurs are willing to take that risk because they create so much chances themselves as a result and they'll be kicking themselves they haven't come out with that with three points because they were the better team they had the better chances and yeah just Spurs incredibly are ahead in their process at the minute which is incredible because Postacoglu is only there 5-6 f- months and Ten Hag is there 18 months and the difference between the two is I mean Ten Hag has given out about injuries and he says I can't play the way I want to play because I've had so many injuries Postacoglu is in such a similar situation such a similar situation endless injuries star man gone in the summer didn't really didn't replace him i mean Richarlison is the replacement for harry kane at the minute it's astounding the the the, the gap in football the gap in recruitment And Spurs haven't been great for recruitment in recent years, but they've got it so right since Postacoglu's come in. Vicario, Van de Ven, Madison, even Brendan Johnson looks a player, and I was questioning Brendan Johnson. Is he good enough for this level? But it just seems that Postacoglu can take any player, and that player knows how to play his style. It's such evident training ground work being put in. Whereas I look at that Man United team, I don't know what's going on. Ever. Now I think with the likes of Casemiro back and Lissandro Martinez back and Luke Shaw come back. I think that will be huge for them. But if the football doesn't improve with them three players back, then Ten Hag needs to be seriously, seriously, seriously scrutinised. I think the front three is their best front three. Garnacho right wing, Hoyland striker, Rashford left wing. And I'm going to touch on that now, but Rashford showing signs that he might be, I'm not going to say back, but he's showing signs that he's on the right track. Marcus Rashford has got a goal of contribution in each of his last four games. And it's no surprise that it's in those last four games he's been put back to his favourite left wing position. You think about the game against Villa, left wing, better performance. And you'll think of the game yesterday, left wing against Spurs, better The game against Wigan, left wing assist. There's no doubt Rashford's more comfortable on that left wing. And the Garnacho right wing, Rashford left wing experiment should have come a lot earlier than it has. Rashford has created, even at the start of the season, Rashford was creating for Hoyland. Now Rashford, his season has taken a massive decline. He's not performed at a consistent level. He's been very poor hence why he was moved out to the right wing, hence why he was benched. But there's no doubt that Manchester United are a more threatening opposition with Rashford left wing. Both attacking-wise, creatively, goal-scoring-wise, all of those attacking attributes are levelled up with Rashford left wing. And with Hoyland starting to find the back of the net, Garnacho looking decent on the right wing, I think they can begin to boost up that abysmal goal-scoring record this season. Definitely. But there's glaring, glaring problems in that team. The set-pieces against Spurs, they were bullied every set-piece. Another cutback goal, I know you wouldn't class it as a cutback, but the principle remains the same. It's a late runner from midfield coming into the box. A ball is played to them on the edge of the box. They have the freedom of the box to either take it first time, drive forward, carry it in more into the box. And that's summed up by Bentancour's goal and the goal that got Spurs the point. How many times this season has Christian Eriksen been traipsing and behind his man, or Scott McTominay has been traipsing and behind his man for a goal against Man United? It ha—it's happened so often this season, and the fact Ten Hag has refused to target that, rectify that, it's incredibly worrying. And I suppose just to touch on. Sir Jim Ratcliffe being present I think that was a big plus for Man United and the sooner that he I know he held a small audience with the journalists at Old Trafford before the game and told them that he expects the deal to be ratified by mid-February latest I don't think mid-February can come quick enough for Man United he really needs to come in and get a handle on that club big time I like the way he's gone about his business so far in terms of, you know, holding audiences with the press at Old Trafford. It's more than the Glazers have done in the 15 years. More, is it 15 years? I think it's 18 years. In the 18 years that the Glazers have been at the club, it's more, even the, whole, even the meeting with the staff at Carrington and meeting with manager and discussing plans with them, meeting with the staff at Old Trafford being around Manchester being involved that's that transparency is what Man United fans have been crying out for for years and I think the fact they have that in someone now is huge for them and yeah Manchester United fans will hope that it's not all just for show and that he does know what he's doing. He does have a plan because God, do Man United need a plan. They need a plan big time and they need people running that the club that know what they're doing, that have experience in it. Because you look around the likes of Spurs, Aston Villa, Newcastle, you know at least Newcastle may be in a poor run of form right now. But they have the people in the positions to get them back. Chelsea. Chelsea with all that money. You never know they could come back. Teams can just start flying by United. And they'll leave United in their wake if they're not careful. So the sooner Sir Jim comes in. And gets his stamp on the club. The better for all involved. but my main takeaway from that game would just be the levels between the two and the gap in time both has had. Credit to Postacoglu, genuinely. Incredible manager. Whether he can sustain it, we'll know and we can tell by next season. The transfer mark will be huge for them. But to move on to I touched on it earlier on, Burnley and Luton, which was a massive game. Me and Aaron flagged that as a massive game at the bottom. And we nearly said, whoever doesn't win that game, it's curtains for them. Well, there wasn't a winner. It was a draw. A controversial draw. And it's VAR again. Butting their nose in. And creating a talking point. And it's not a positive one. I'm not sure what you guys think about it. I've seen the Twitter reaction. My opinion, I get it soft. But ultimately, Adubayo looks at Trafford, turns his back to him, and backs into him, and clearly impedes the goalkeeper. So how that wasn't given as a foul, it genuinely baffles me. And I get, look, I get it's soft. But it's been, even in the hard days of the Premier League, the goalkeeper has always been more protected. A touch on the goalkeeper, anything that, imp- anything that even slightly impedes the goalkeeper is a foul. Whether you agree with that or not, it's a foul. And Trafford was clearly obstructed and clearly impeded. If Adebayo doesn't do that to Trafford, he claims that. There's no header goal for Morris. Trafford had been claiming balls like that all game. I'd actually been so impressed with him. And the fact the referee looks at that and doesn't think Adebayo has an effect on Trafford for that goal... Incredibly worrying. But that's been VAR and that's been the officiating in the Premier League this season. Worrying and negative. It, be- it begged belief for me. I couldn't believe what I was looking at when that wasn't given as a foul. I didn't even react when Morris scored. And it says enough. I think company said this after the game. It says enough. That the Luton players didn't even celebrate after it. It was like everyone in the stadium was expecting the whistle and the whistle never came. And then the entire stadium was expecting VAR to root it out. And they never did. Incredible. And such a massive call that could have such ramifications. A win for Burnley there would be huge for them. It'd take them within a point of Luton. With all these charges coming Everton's way, all these charges coming Forrest's way, massive for them. And again, it just highlights the incompetency of the officials in this league. It was a missed. It was a missed opportunity for both teams. I think both teams had chances. I think Burnley were the better team on the day Luton just didn't create enough and they had a lot of opportunities that suited them the likes of Doughty and I've been incredibly impressed with Doughty this season but his crossing wasn't on it and he they just messed up a lot of chances a lot of opportunities that could have been big chances they messed up but Burnley were the better team they played the better football, they created the better chances and they will feel incredibly hard done by because they didn't lose the game through fault of their own, they lost the game through the one body that's supposed to ensure that teams get what they deserve. And they've been let down by the Poor officials in this in this league, and there's not there's not much more to say. I mean, I could talk all day about VAR and how I don't agree with it, and how I don't agree with the standard of refereeing in the in the league. But there's nothing there's nothing we can do about it. And Burnley will rue that. And who knows if they end up missing out on staying up by two points. They could very well look back on that game and say how different things could have been. Chelsea. A win for Chelsea. Again in the league. Their win and run continues. I wouldn't say they've done it in style, they were poor. Very poor. Chelsea are a strange one. We've talked about Chelsea a lot, me and Aaron have. And ugh, I don't know. It's just there's no there's no consistency there, both in performance and in team selection. There's someone different playing every week. I was happy to see the midfield three back. The midfield three of Caicedo, Enzo and Gallagher. That's Chelsea's best midfield three. Without a doubt. And Enzo was really, really good. The back four is a shambles. I don't know who's playing from week to week. I saw Chilwell is back. But Chilwell came on left wing. And Colwell stayed at left back. I really like Colwell. Colwell. He's not a left back. He's just not good out there. He's much better center half. I don't understand why he doesn't play there. There's, the the front line isn't potent enough. They don't carry enough threat and they don't carry enough creativity. They have one player that fits the bill. They have one player that delivers and they have one player that they can rely on up front and that's Cole Palmer. What an exceptional talent he is. Incredible player. Incredible future ahead of him. He may be young in years but he is so mature in how he plays. I mean, the the penalty that Chelsea got where Sterling was fouled It was just so interesting and telling that it was Cole Palmer received the ball on the edge of the box and the whole of Stamford Bridge goes, shoot. And he just didn't buy into that. And he did this disguised pass into Sterling that only the elite can spot and only the elite can pull off more importantly. And he did it. And he has played those kind of passes all season. And everything positive about Chelsea's attack flows through him. He's everything to that Chelsea attack. I've seen him getting a bit of stick, saying try and score an open play goal. But he can't create them and score them. He's doing his work at the minute and he's creating so many chances and people aren't finishing them. But in terms of penalties... I mean, he's seven for seven at the minute. Seven penalties out of seven. It's incredible. I questioned the signing when it happened. I didn't understand the money for a player that only had, I think, was it 20 appearances in all competitions? 45 million. I thought City were just saw the money and went, oh, okay. But he's definitely up there at one of the sign-ins of the season. And he is literally the only good investment I see on that Chelsea team, price-wise, talent-wise, and delivering. He's the only sign-in that's delivering week in, week out. He's their most consistent performer. And he came back from a couple of poorly taken chances against Middlesbrough during the week and he showed no hangover straight into it didn't shy away from the ball wanted the responsibility and I love that in a player I look at Cole Palmer and I think that that's a player there for years to come and Chelsea are actually quite lucky to have him and the last game of the weekend well not the last game of the weekend but the last game that I'm going to touch on is a stalemate at Goodison Park between Everton and Nassim Villa. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this game. It was a complete fest. Everton are taking a bit of a dip at the minute and Villa's away blues are continuing. I'm not quite sure what's going on at Everton. They don't look themselves. Calvert-Lewin isn't delivering either. I think that's their biggest problem. There was one chance in that game where Calvert-Lewin ran through on goal and it just had to be a goal. And it was such a poorly taken finish. And in terms of Villa didn't perform at the level that we're used to seeing either. And that would be a massive concern for them. Because that away, that away form, never mind the away form, it's their away performances. They're just not the same team away from home as the are Park. And that's something that's one to watch as the season goes on. Because when the points start becoming more important you'll need your away form to drag you into those Champions League places. And for Aston Villa, with the season they've had so far, Champions League has got to be the goal. It's got to be. If they don't, they could live to regret it because you never know when this opportunity is going to come around again. You never know what other teams are going to improve. So while they're there and while they have the opportunity, they've got to grab it. And guys, that's been the Premier League review and we'll be back on Friday to preview the upcoming weekend of Premier League football we'll touch on the Everton and Nottingham Forest situation and Aaron will be back fingers crossed he'll go through his picks of the week again to which if I remember correctly he went Don't quote me on this, but if it's not zero out of three, it's a one out of three. So we'll give him a bit of stick about that. So guys, catch you in the next one. Thanks for listening.